So um, I've pretty much never won anything. Uh, you know, there are some people who always seem to win stuff. That's not me, right? I'm always the guy that I've never won anything. I always see competitions and I think, I'm going to win that. That would be good. Like, this is a competition made for me, um, but I never win. It's always other people who win. I'm always the person who looks at other people and think, you know, everyone else seems to win these things and I don't. So two weeks ago when my daughter, uh, my 19-year-old uh, daughter came to me and said that the Pilates studio that she goes to are having a Father's Day competition. And the competition is to, uh, they posted up one of their instructors doing some Pilates moves, kind of lying on the ground, waving your legs in the air and whatever. And uh, they said, if anyone can film their dad doing these moves uh, and upload them, uh, post them on our, uh, on our social pages, the most entertaining video will win. Uh, so anyway, I had pretty low expectations because I never win anything. Um, but I said to my daughter, I said, look, we, we'll have a go. Um, she really wanted to win because um, it gave her five free classes and whatever else. Anyway, so um, anyway, uh, cut to the chase. Um, we, we filmed a video that involved me with my bike and a lot of lycra. Uh, don't look the video up because it's, it's not pretty. Um, but to cut a long story short, you ready for this? You ready for this? We won. Uh, we were the most, yes, you can clap because this is a big thing in my life. Um, we were the most entertaining, um, you could use the words uh, silly, cheesy, embarrassing, but let's go with entertaining. We were the most entertaining uh, video of, um, of a dad doing these Pilates moves. Um, and for me, like, I mean, I, actually, I have to say, I've now got five free Pilates lessons. So, um, uh, so that's going to be weird, me doing Pilates uh, for a start. Um, but, but for me, it was this kind of moment where the thing that always happens to other people, the thing that I, I always look on to other people uh, uh, happening in their lives has all of a sudden happened to me. I felt like I was chosen and, uh, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm part of the club. You know, I've, I've won something. Um, it actually happened to me. Welcome to part four of a series that we're doing called Surviving and Thriving, where we're walking through the book of 1 Peter in the Bible. Uh, we've said that 1 Peter is a letter um, that Peter, the disciple of Jesus, wrote to a number of tiny Christian churches about 30 or so years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He writes to churches that are doing it tough. Um, Roman Emperor Nero, who controls pretty much the whole world, has decreed that uh, Christians are sort of an outlaw group and they are being persecuted and discriminated against all across the Roman Empire. And so Peter writes a letter to, a letter to these churches to encourage them in their faith um, and to encourage them in their Christian walk with Jesus. So far we've seen that Peter has written about the wonder of life lived with Jesus. Uh, and we explain it this way by saying that, that Peter says, the worst, the, the worst that the world can throw at you is nothing compared to the wonder of knowing Jesus, both in this life and in the next life, what Peter says is our inheritance, what we often call eternal life. There's nothing in this life that is as bad as how good life in this life and the next life is with Jesus. He went on to write, uh, Peter went on to write 
that therefore, in light of all this, considering how amazing life with Jesus is, therefore live holy lives. You know, follow Jesus' example. Set yourself apart from the rest of the world, he says, and live like Jesus. So we're going to pick up the letter this week in 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, I've said this each week, but if you want to grab your Bibles and find 1 Peter 2, um, the easiest way to find 1 Peter is to start at the back of your Bible and move forward. Um, the last book is Revelation. Uh, then there are a number of really small books, Jude and 1, 2 and 3 John. And then you come to 1 and 2 Peter. And we're in 1 Peter chapter 2. Um, so what I'm going to do is, is what I've done right throughout this series. I'm going to read to you uh, all of the texts that we're going to look at this week. And then we're going to go back and sort of uh, unpack it bit by bit. So I'm beginning to read in verse 4. 1 Peter 2 verse 4. Peter writes, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now, if you've been tracking through the series with us, this might seem like a weird departure from Peter's train of thought and from Peter's uh, train of writing. Um, we saw last week that Peter was talking to the church about holiness, about the way that we live holy for God. Uh, 1 Peter 16 that we read last week, uh, he wrote, Be holy because I am holy. And if you skip ahead, if you look just down below what I've just read, if you skip ahead, Peter's going to continue with this encouragement about holy living. Uh, chapter 2, verse 11 says, abstain from sinful desires. Uh, verse 12 says, live such good and holy lives. But sort of sandwiched between all this talk about holy living um, is this strange paragraph, what seemingly, uh, this seemingly strange paragraph, where Peter seems to switch gears and talk about stones and priests. So let me try and unpack this a little bit, because there's some pretty... Uh, uh, weird stuff in terms of our understanding of English language here, stones and priests. Let me understand this a bit. And I'm going to give you a warning. This is going to get sort of a bit kind of Bible nerdy uh, for a bit, okay? But if you stick with me, this is worth it, all right? What Peter's writing about here is actually really, really cool. So uh, let, me, um, let me try and unpack this by sort of going way back to the beginning of our Bible at the beginning of the story of God's people. So from the very first pages, um, God has set apart people in the Bible. Uh, he first set apart one man. He then set apart a family. And eventually he set apart 
a nation. Uh, God creates a perfect world um, where he would rule the world in partnership with his people. Um, uh, and, and people, uh, Adam and Eve, in the very beginning, they choose to rebel against this plan that God's got and to do things their own way. And right from that moment, right from literally the first three pages of the Bible, God begins and puts in place a plan to restore creation, a plan to undo all the wrong uh, and the rebellion that has been done and to bring people, all people, to bring all of creation back to himself. And he does this, his sort of plan for doing this is to choose a people group. His plan for doing this is to choose a person, a family, a nation, and they will be the means by which he brings all people back to himself. The first person that he chooses is the man of Abraham, a name that you might have heard if you've kind of been around church, been around the Bible. Um, in Genesis 12, verse 2, God says this to Abraham. He calls him, chooses him, and he says, I will make you, and it's one man, remember, I will make you into a great nation. He says, all people on earth will be blessed through you. Abraham has a son uh, called Isaac. Isaac has a son called Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. Um, and, uh, and God says this to Jacob, uh, looking at him and to his 12 sons. Um, God says, a nation and a community of nations will come from you and kings will come from your body. Spoiler alert, when he says kings, he's not just talking about kings as in like kings and queens. That's a reference to Jesus uh, as well as sort of the, the, the kings and queens of the nation. <clears throat> Fast forward a few hundred years from the life of Jacob and, uh, and God's right. Those, those 12 sons have grown into 12 families and they've grown into huge families and they are now a nation made up of 12 tribes. Each of those families has become a tribe. They're a big nation. And God says this, this is through Moses, another name that you might know if you've been around the place a bit. Um, God says this to this nation through Moses, uh, making notes, this is Exodus 19, 5 and 6. God says, Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And God introduces here the idea of priests. Right now, um, what God does is within this nation, there's these 12 tribes. God sets apart, again, we're going to hear this word a lot uh, today, sets apart one of, these, uh, one of these tribes to be priests. Um, there's a tribe called the Levites. Uh, again, you'll see that through the Bible as you, as you start reading through it. He sets aside one of these tribes and he says, you will be for me priests. And, and this was the role of the priests. The priests were to act as uh, mediators, if you like, between God and people. Um, the role of a priest was to represent God to the people and then to represent the people before God. Make sense? This is what the priests did in the Old Testament. Priests were set apart. They were set apart for God's purposes. They were set apart for what you might say were holy purposes, right? For the things that God wanted them to do. And one of the things that the priests were responsible for was the temple. 
Now, I need to, a couple of quick comments about the temple here. The temple for the Jewish people was not just a church building. Okay, so in in their uh, in their cities and in their tribes all across the nation, there were what they called and what we still call today synagogues. They were more like church buildings, right, where local groups of people gathered. But there was only one temple, and that existed in Jerusalem, in the heart of their nation. And they believed, the Jews believed, that the presence of God lived in this temple. The temple was a place, like a connection place, that connected heaven and earth. If you're a sci-fi kind of person, it was like the temple was a portal um, uh, through, which, uh, through which God, through which the heavenly, connected with the earthly. So the temple, these two ideas, the temple and the priesthood, were really important to Jewish people. They were central to the Jewish people's belief that they were called, that they were set apart by God, that they were God's special chosen people, that they were his holy people. Now, I'm just skimming the surface here. This idea of priest and temple, you could talk about this for ages. And I want to say, seriously, um, a bit of homework for this week. Um, the Bible Project, the Bible Project on YouTube, have some really awesome videos around this topic. If you just, uh, on YouTube, if you search for Bible Project Priests and Bible Project Temple, they've got a couple of short videos. They're only four, five, six minutes. They explain and dig into this stuff. It's really, really cool. So a bit of homework. Um, uh, check out what the Bible Project has to say about this idea of the priesthood and priests and temples. Back to 1 Peter. What's all this got to do with 1 Peter? So here's, here's the point that the, the point to all this background is that the early church knew all this history. Right, all this stuff I'm talking about, about, about priests in the temple, they knew all this stuff. Right? They knew that God had chosen a people, a special people, and that he promised to fulfill his purposes on earth through this chosen people group. And, and of course, ultimately, through Jesus, who's born through this chosen people group. But right now, these churches, which are made up of both Jewish and and non-Jewish people, both right now these churches find themselves outcast by this Jewish church and hated by the Roman authorities. So these tiny churches, like everyone hates them, right? They're trying to follow Jesus, but um, the, the, the God's chosen people that kind of led to Jesus, uh, the, the Israelite nation, the Jewish people, they hate them. At the same time, um, the worldly authorities, the Roman authorities, they hate them. And this is the background that Peter writes into. Let me reread these verses with that background and see if we can make some sense of this. Verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. This is Jesus Right, the living stone that he's talking about, as you come to him, Jesus, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Peter's reminding the people, right, this is a bit of a mind blown kind of moment coming up, what I'm about to teach here. Um, Peter's reminding them that the temple, 
this place, this physical place where heaven meets earth, the temple is no longer a building. It's now a person. Right? This changed everything for the early church. Because they grew up believing that there was a physical place where heaven connected with earth. And Peter's reminding them that the whole point of the life of Jesus is to change that understanding. Listen to the way that uh, John, uh, when John's writing about Jesus' life, this is uh, the way John explains it by writing uh, a conversation that Jesus had with the leaders of the church. Uh, John 2, 19 to 22. Jesus answered them, talking to the religious leaders, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. And if we knock it down, you're going to raise it again in three days? But the temple he spoke of, Jesus, this is what John writes, but the temple he spoke of was his body. And after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Peter was one of those disciples. Peter's passing on a lesson that he learned personally from Jesus. In the old way of doing things, God and humanity were separated and the temple was the one place where they came together, the one place where God and humanity could connect. But Peter's reminding them that in Jesus, God comes to earth and he comes to everyone. If you're around in the last series we taught, our God is series, we said that God is here, that the kingdom of God is here. What Jesus is saying is Jesus replaces the need for a temple by making the kingdom of God, by making the things of God available to everyone, anyone, anywhere, anytime through him. This was a mind-blowing shift in the way that God connected with people. Peter goes on, verse 5, You also, right, he's now talking to people, he said, You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. He's saying that now, after Jesus, that the church... What, and that's why we call the church the body of Christ, right? Because we are sort of we are carrying on the physical work of Christ in, in the world. So now the church, he's saying, we are the temple. What Peter's trying to help get us to understand here is that is that in his understanding in, in the New Testament, after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, every Christian is like a mini temple. We are like many Old Testament temples walking around. That we are a place where the world can meet God. That we are a place that is supposed to connect the heavenly and the things of God with the earthly. That used to happen in one physical place in the middle of Jerusalem. And now it happens anywhere that a Christian walks the earth. Does that make sense? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. Because Jesus lives in us. We are now these mini temples walking around the world. He goes on in the verses after that to talk about this temple and to talk about what Jesus has done. But I want you to skip down to verse 9 because I think this gets even better. Verse 9, he says, But you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Now, if those verses sounded all familiar to you, it's because they are, because Peter's re-quoting Exodus 19, 5 and 6, which I read to you before. Peter's remembering those words that God spoke to uh, the, the nation of Israel through Moses back for what is them hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of years before. He's re-quoting that and saying, that now applies to you. That thing that God spoke to the 12 tribes of Israel and said, you're my chosen possession. I'm going to reconcile the world through you. Peter's now kind of uh, uh, re-quoting that, reinterpreting that, and he's speaking that over the church. In other words, not just over the 12 tribes of Israel, but over anyone who believes in God, over anyone who's living in a relationship with Jesus. Peter's trying to get us to see that Jesus brings to the world a new kind of temple and Jesus brings to the world a new kind of priesthood. Remember we said the role of a priest was to stand in the gap that existed between God and people. A priest was to make sacrifices on behalf of the people, make sacrifices that would reconnect people with God. But that's what Jesus did on the cross. Right? Jesus made that sacrifice. Hebrews 8 and 9, more homework for you. Read Hebrews 8 and 9. After this message, they're going to kind of speak to you, kind of come at you in a whole different way, where the writer says that Jesus made a sacrifice once and for all. In the old way of doing things, the priests would come week after week and make these sacrifices that would help connect people with God, make people right with God. And Peter's saying that Jesus did that once and for all. Jesus' death and resurrection redefines this whole idea of a priesthood. And Peter wants to see and to help the church to understand that now they are the chosen ones. They are the ones that are set apart. Because remember, they're living at a time where everyone hates them. They're wondering if they're wasting their time with this whole God thing. All it seems to be bringing them is pain and suffering. And they're asking, have we got this all wrong? Uh, have we backed the wrong horse? Is this whole Jesus thing, is this, are we wasting our time here? Have, 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 we just, have we just jumped on the wrong bandwagon? And Peter's helping them to see that the answer to that is a massive resounding no. He's helping them to see that they are not alone. He's saying you might feel alone. You might, it might look like your circumstances are against you, but you are the chosen ones. He's saying that God is with them. These tiny churches that are being persecuted across what we now call Turkey. He's trying to see them. He's trying to help them see that God is with them and that God has a plan and a purpose for them. In other words, Peter's connecting their current story to the rest of the historical story of God's people. Do you get that when he says you are a chosen people? That the people that... God chose were Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and his family through Moses. Everyone knew that was what was chosen. That's the nation that God chose. And Peter's saying, no, 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 no. I mean, yes, that was, but no, no, now 
You are the chosen ones. That anyone who believes in Jesus, you are now part of the chosen. You are a chosen people. God's special possession. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. He says, once you were not a people, in other words, once this was all kind of a, a rabble and a mess, but now you are a people. Now you are chosen and are together. This is why this random discussion about stones and priests is so important to you and to me. Because we are like those churches that Peter spoke to in so many ways. I mean, we're not all Jews. Maybe some of us are here, but, but we're not all Jews. And so it's easy for us to read the Bible like it's someone else's story. It's easy for us to read the Bible and think that's a story of another people in another place and in another time. That's not for me. That's got nothing to do with me. It's easy for us to feel disconnected from our faith. It's easy for us to feel disconnected from the Bible, disconnected from other Christians, ultimately disconnected from God. It's easy for us, like those churches, to look around us and say, have I backed the wrong horse here? Am I wasting my time on this Jesus stuff? Is this really the best way to go? Or have I just... Have I just got this all wrong? And Peter wants you to know that if you're a Christian, if you've given your life to Jesus, that you are God's chosen people. That you are set apart. It's not for someone else. It's for you. When you read the Bible, when you see these stories of God choosing people, of God calling people, of God saving people, of God rescuing people, of God using people. When you see how God's using people to change the world, that's your story. These are your people. This is your God. The biblical story isn't someone else's story. It's a story of God through Jesus reconciling the world to himself. And if you're a Christian... It is the bombshell for today that Peter's trying to drop on them. If you're a Christian, you're part of that plan. God's grand plan that's existed since page three of the Bible to bring all the world back to him and to do that through a chosen people. You are part of that chosen people. You're a part of the plan. When you say yes to Jesus... You're not, you're not just making a decision that's about what happens to you after you die. You are making a decision to step into a community that's what when Peter calls them a nation. Don't think about a nation you know, like Australia with flag and government and this sort of stuff. A nation is a community. It's a collection of people. You are stepping into a community of people that are, have been set apart by God for his plan and for his purposes in the world. Peter describes that purpose when he says that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful life. Into his wonderful light, sorry. So listen to me when I say to you that every Christian person has a holy purpose in life. And when I say a holy purpose, I'm not talking about your job. 
I'm not talking about, you know, your favorite hobby or your sport. You know, God's called me to do this. You have a set-apart purpose, which is to be part of God's plan to reconcile the whole world to himself. And Peter says that this is a priestly purpose. Now, we don't think of ourselves as priests and we don't talk about priests, but Peter's using this idea from the Old Testament to describe how God wants to use you and how God wants to use his people to help connect other people with him. And I want to tell you, this idea, this understanding, this this idea of this priesthood changes everything for us as Christians. Because what this means is that God is no longer in the business of just using professional ministers and leaders and special people to do his things. That's the old way of doing things. That's the way it was before Jesus when there were just a select few people, when the priests were just a select few people, that holiness was only for special people, that you had to access God through someone else, that that someone else had to mediate, had to stand between you and God and, if you like, had to open the door so you you had some access to God. That was the role of the priest. And the rest of us, our job was just to essentially sit back and to watch the priests do their thing. But Peter's trying to tell us that Jesus' death and resurrection creates a whole new definition of priest. It creates a whole new priesthood. It's actually what God was predicting through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob and Moses. In all of those scriptures, God talks about all nations and all people. Peter wants you to see that church isn't a spectator sport. You don't, you, don't, you don't come to a church to watch someone else do faith. You don't come to a church to watch a worship team worship. You don't come to a church to watch other people care for other people. You don't come to a church to listen to someone teach and go, well, that was good, I'm glad God's speaking to that, to that person. You are a part of a community of priests whose job it is, just like the priests of old, whose job it is to reflect God to the community around them and to help connect that community of people to God. That's the role of a priest. And Peter's saying that's now the role of every follower of Jesus. We are all priests and we all stand in that place with that responsibility and that authority. Peter's writing to people who are in tough times. And it's as if he's writing saying, when times get tough, remember this. When times get tough, remember that you have a holy, a set-apart plan and purpose. And it's not just about what's going on in your life. It's not just about your job and your relationship and your finances. That you are part of a grand spiritual, a a, a heavenly mission that God has been on since page three of the Bible to draw back his beloved world to himself. And you are part of the plan. You are part of a royal priesthood, which is, I get it, a word and a phrase that we don't use, 
but you have a purpose to stand in the middle of that and to be a, a conduit, if you like, between God and his love and what Jesus has done and the rest of a hurting, broken, lost world. So this paragraph isn't about stones and priests. It's about you and me. It's about the purpose that God has for our lives. It's about the purpose that God has for his church, for his churches. I mean, just imagine if we got this stuff right. I mean, just imagine if churches lived this out. And, and not, just, not just big churches that seem to have plenty of influence and everyone knows them. All sorts of churches, tiny churches like we are. Imagine what could happen if under the power and the guidance of the Holy Spirit, we could live this out. In other words, not be a community of people who are, who are sitting in seats watching professionals, uh, you know, or watching some people do faith and do church and do ministry. What if we all lived this out? What if we all lived out our role and our commission as priests? in our workplaces, in our schools, at our universities, in our families, at our footy clubs, you know, wherever we find ourselves. Imagine what could happen if churches lived like this so that, uh, so that the word of God, so that our mission became not just something that happened inside a building on Sunday, but became a mission that happened all over our community. That's what Peter's talking about. That's what Peter's talking to these tiny first churches about. That's, I mean, you could say this is vision, this is Peter's vision for the church. I mean, he's writing, as we've said a number of times, he's writing to these tiny churches in a part of the world that today we call Turkey. But he's also talking to us today. Wherever you're sitting listening to this, wherever you're watching this, Peter's talking to you. He's saying we are set apart. We are a chosen, holy people. If you are a Christian person, if you've said yes to Jesus, you are set apart for a holy purpose, a godly purpose. To be a part of bringing back, to be a part of reconciling the whole world world to God and that's what 1 Peter 2 is all about